Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's furious about Big Cook, Little Cook. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Hello. Welcome to... Thank you. Lovely to see you. Much better than last week's audience. Welcome to another episode of Rich Chang's uh, Leicester Square Theatre podcast. I was talking to John Tickle from uh, Big Brother 4. Remember John Tickle? He's talking to science from Big Brother 6. I think we've done him before, but I can't resist. I was talking to Spiral from Big Brother 7. I don't remember that. Do you remember Spiral? That doesn't sound real, does it? It's on the page. Anyway, all of them call it realistic, so we'll see if that catches on. Yeah, I, you know, if you've know, if you followed my career for a long time, you'll know that when I was a bit depressed in about 2003 and living on my own, uh, I'd be drunk most nights and I'd wake up at 6 o'clock every morning and watch Big Cook, Little Cook and get quite obsessed with it uh, because it was all that was on TV, but I was also like hungover and it was sort of like very weird entertainment. I don't know if you know Big Cook, Little Cook, it's a... It's a children's television show where a normal-sized uh, man uh, has a very small man and they run a cafe together. Or, or a normal-sized man and a very big man. 
Uh, it's never described. They were really shit, the original two. But uh, it's come back, and now it's women doing it. It was the two women. It's not on, is it? That's not on. They can't change. How can they change Big Cook, Little Cook from that? They are men. That is... They can't change. And none of the men's right activists have got on board with me on this one. They were all upset about Doctor Who and potentially James Bond and... I don't know. It's, I, I think because they're confused because it's cooking, isn't it? They don't, they can't, they don't know. They're going, no, you can't. Oh, yeah, but they've changed it to the ladies are cooking. That's good. Political correctness gone mad, isn't it? Can't have women being big cook, little cook. I really want to get a kind of Twitter protest thing. See what, see what men I can hook in with that. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, my other thing's d- disgusting. But uh, I was just doing... Uh, I just was doing some farts that were so bad the other day that I had to go and sleep in a different room. Uh, and they wouldn't dissipate. Why do some farts not dissipate? What is the, are there any fart experts? Do you know from your nucleus? Is the humidity? What, the farts? What, it's a wet fart? And so it's, hang- so it's, wet, it's just in there as droplets. Did you really study that as <laughs> part of your nuclear degree? Nuclear physics. You tried to light them as part of the nuclear physics. I'm glad you're here, David. It's good to say it's worth... worth so I've got very wet farts. So they, they're essentially on the way to being a, a solid piece of shit, is what you're saying, but there's a, it's all hanging, the shit is hanging in the air. Yeah, no wonder my wife's so cross about it. Some of them just fly away, don't they, Andy? High density. Yeah. I, you know, I came to the right place to find out about that. Anyway, oh, I nearly forgot. I must thank my uh, Kickstarter backers, Andy Sandal. Doesn't say anything about himself, but, you know, well done for inventing the sandal, mate. That was good work. Ian Daly, he invented the Daly. So, hi, Ian, and good luck to... Da- so, this is from someone else, I think. Hi, Ian, and good luck to Daily Motors. Uh, do you think he's just put that... He wants me to say hi, Ian, to him, doesn't he? It's, it's him who's done it himself. <laughs> He just, he, he's, he's actually giving me a line. Hi, I'll pretend that I'm not reading that. Hi, Ian. Uh, good luck to Daily Motors, the best car yard in Western Australia. That's my honest opinion. I've tested them all out. Uh, and Joel Gaith, Gethin Lewis, shout out to Pesca, Dave and Brains. Good, it's nice, isn't it? It's a nice little window into how awful the people who like this show are. So, um, it's awful. My guest this week is probably best known for his appearance on the Podge and Rod show. <laughs> like Charlie Foreman was. I wonder if they're on the same episode. Uh, you'll also recognise him for a TV commercial for Auto Trader, which also featured June Whitfield. That's why we're here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome Terry Christian. Here he is, Terry Christian. Come on in, sit down. Put, pick do, up do you know what I... I was that drunk, I couldn't remember going on the Podge and Rod show. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I don't think Charlie could either. I no, just... but I knew that I'd done it. Okay. Because it was one of those, I thought, God, I'm so glad I'm drunk because I wouldn't want to be, you know, be able to remember what I'm doing here. Uh, but, but obviously, my parents are from Dublin, so right, whenever I go over to Dublin, I, I, I can't escape. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm always going to end up hungover at the airport two days later thinking... Why haven't, why haven't even got enough money for a taxi home <laughs> at the other end? Well, how was June Whitfield to work with on the auto? No, trade? she was great. Yeah, she was she fantastic. Was. Uh, I forgot all about that auto trader advert. Sometimes yeah. I do think about some of the adverts that I did, and I think that might be one of the higher quality ones. I, I thought June Whitfield would be good. It's sad, sadly missed. I never. I don't think. No, no, she was lovely. She was really good fun. You know, yeah. it, I think we filmed it all around Romford Docks or somewhere okay. like that, yeah. and. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So I think it's my only Envision advert. All the rest of them were for, like, you know, junk food. Right. That's what you get when you're northern. You get junk food. Yeah, I, I bumped into Michael Smiley, the actor who used to be a, a stand-up comedian, and he was on his way to a voiceover, and he was... He was He's from Belfast, so he's sort of discussing what things he was allowed to advertise. Yeah, they yeah, haven't quite well, worked it out what it is for Belfast. Well, I, rem- I remember there was a time when, uh, you know, I actually said it to Craig Charles when he said, you know, because he, when he was arrested and stuff and in prison, he said, everyone sent me cards. He said, how come you didn't? I said, I was hoping to get your mushy peas advert. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's lovely to see you. Uh, you know, partly uh, I wanted you on just to get you and Charlie Borman in the same room and see if we could create a Lee and Herring uh, look-alike. <laughs> I mean, when you say that... Yeah. I mean, first of all, I didn't know that Charlie Borman's dad was John Borman. There you go. I was so impressed. <laughs> it's very good. Uh, uh, do you ever get mistakes? You must get mistakes. There's a, quite a famous example recently of, of your photo being used on a... He, don't, he doesn't... I, I don't have an answer for that, says uh, Siri. Uh, you were, you, your photo was used on a Stuart Lee uh, radio show, wasn't it? Shut up. Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you oh, get, no, what, what, do you get and, mistaken for him a lot? Or? Me and Stuart Lee? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's why people thought I was so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been for years. Yeah. I, I, I actually did speak to him briefly after he did a, a gig at the Lowry in Manchester, you know, back in 2017, the night of the Manchester bomb, actually. Oh, um, yeah. uh, but, but so he, he was flogging his own gear, which uh, made me feel bet, better about things I've done. He's Not just like, like he's doing just his too, own market stall. He's but, too mean. He's too mean to employ someone. Well, well no, but as, I did, as, I did as want to like... chat to him because I've always been a fan of his. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, uh, and he was saying, oh, yeah, I must talk to you and I will one day. He said, he said I've had people literally speaking to me for hours and hours <laughs> thinking that I was you. You know, and I said, do you know what I want to say to you, mate? You, you did that riff all about buying Steel Pulse's album in 1979, <laughs> right? Hansworth Revolution. It came out in 1978 <laughs> in the summer, and you're the you're the brummy and the mank. Get it right. <laughs> well, you both are obsessed with music, which is you know another similarity between the two of you, uh, and that's where you sort of started out, wasn't it? As well, actually, weirdly, your first your break into TV, which is quite an unusual break into. into Entertainment was being on World in Action, right? Is that true? Well, well it, it was a programme made by World in Action back in 1981 for the ITV network when there were only three channels uh, called Devil's Advocate. And it, and it, and it was all, all based on the findings of the Scarman report uh, after the riots of 1981, right. the summer of riots. And uh, they got 100 kids from inner city Manchester and I was one of them. And, and I only got it accidentally through a mate of mine's mum who did the school dinners with my mum and because I was on the dole, in fact, uh, one of my mates in here, he was working at the dole office at the time, but not the one where I signed on. <laughs> and we'd, we'd spend a lot of time going from one, one different mate's house to the other, smoking dope. Well, I mean, obviously there was a lot of unemployment at the time, and I'd, I'd got an HND in applied biology, you Good. know, just in case. Yeah, yes, I did, from Polytechnic too. <laughs> which is where you went when you were too arrogant to work in a call centre. <laughs> and, it, and it was kind of, um, I don't know, you know, and I must have applied for whew, four jobs over a period <laughs> of six months. And so my mum was moaning about me being in bed till two o'clock every day. And then her, her other son had been asked to get, get these youngsters together in Manchester to do this show. Nice. So I, I just went down there and the uh, next thing you know, we were networked for eight weeks, chatting about politics, uh, 
all the rest of it. And, yeah, I, I just got spotted. Uh, another person on that show was uh, Johnny Marr of the Smiths. Right. So we were just talking about all the findings of the Scarman Report, high unemployment, blah, blah, blah. The act was about nuclear weapons as well. Right. Uh, all of that stuff, you know, Thatcher and how much <laughs> we hated her. You know, yeah. it was just all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so you got so you got radio shows that you got. On, on I got offered a radio right? show just off the back off of that. being on that, and uh, so I didn't know what to do. And then the guy who actually brought me on at the radio show, he ended up being the editor of uh, Today on Radio Four. Right. So I actually, and then then I did this. The radio show that I did then won two national Sony awards, and it was described as a punk Radio Four. Okay. And then I got thrown in with uh, all that mob who did the word. It was basically <laughs> young Boris Johnson's, <laughs> you know. And I never looked back, did I? <laughs> I think one of the big problems that I had on the word was, other than the odd comedian, nobody had ever heard a regional accent, especially on a programme like that before. You know, the regional accents you heard on the TV outside of Coronation Street were basically Les Dawson. And then I turned up. Now, the problem is, it's a bit like if your first taste of curry is Vindaloo. <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm from about as inner city Manchester as you can get, you know. I mean, I was born probably less than a mile away from the city centre in a, yeah. an area of uh, Old Trafford uh, called Brooks Bar, which joins in... I was about 100, 100 yards away from Moss Side, which was that, that side of me. Wally Range, just slightly to that side, and then Hume, that side. So it was almost like at a crossroads of, of everything that was great and cultural in, in Manchester. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Yeah. Ian Curtis, uh, out of Joy Division, was always on Stamford Street, two streets away from me. You know, because that, that's where his grandparents and his uncle right. and auntie lived. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, it was, it was an incredible time for music within Manchester. With uh, You were saying well, in the dressing room about all the... All the well, well, you've got to remember, Manchester was kind of uncool until yeah. I was 16 or 17. And it, he, I mean, OK, you know, we, we'd had a big a big music scene in the 60s, you know, with pop acts like Herman's Hermits, The Hollies, Freddie and the Dreamers, you know, blah, 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 you know, Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders and stuff. <laughs> and they'd all done really well and had massive hits in America. You know, Herman's Hermits even outsold the Beatles in 1965, but it wasn't a cool scene, it was a pop scene. And then you had 10cc. And then suddenly when I'm 16, one of my best mates from primary school and at secondary school, John Marr, ends up being in this band called Buzzcocks. <laughs> And he's a drummer, 16 years of age, and he, he leaves, you know, and even write, gets his mum to write a letter to the headmaster to say he won't be doing his A-levels because he's off, off with his band, you know, yeah. offers to pay for them. And he's, like, you know, playing with the, with the clash at the screen on the green and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, amazing. But your... Because your show was... Your radio show was, it was, a, was you know, was highlighting a lot of that, that music, right? Well, well we did was... everything. Because of where I grew up, you, you were either Irish descent or Jamaican. So, you know, we, we all love reggae, but add guilt. So, <laughs> you, you, so you, grew up, you grew up with a lot of stuff. And then the older lads around our way were all, you know, big in uh, what, what, what were called rarities at the time. Then later became known as Northern Soul. And even our local youth club in Old Trafford, the two guys who ran it, they shoved the odd, like, Roxy music track on for you or uh, David Bowie, but the rest of the night, you know, they'd just play Northern Soul, which you don't want to hear when you're 14, you know. The <laughs> girls would be going mad saying, can you go any David Essex? <laughs> Shut up and dance to this one, love. <laughs> you know, because they were only getting, like, a tenner yeah. <laughs> for doing it. But, um, yeah, so it, it was interesting. So you grew up hearing a lot of different stuff, um, you know, so it, it was kind of... I don't know, yeah, yeah. And, and with the punk thing in Manchester, it coincided with wanting to go out, 
but looking too young to drink. But if you were going to a venue to see some crap band like the Radio Stars or, you know, you, you go and see local bands like Magazine, Early Doors, you know, that's when I first saw The Fall supporting them. Mm. And um, you, you go to them, but you, you went because once you were in and the promoters would let you in because they just wanted to play, pay for the PA and have enough money to pay for the bands. They didn't give a shit that you looked 13, but you were actually 16 or 17. And once you were in, you could drink. So you were cool instantly. <laughs> and so, I mean, it is, it, 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 even at that time, so the, the word was sort of the early, was it the late 80s, uh, uh, early no, 90s? No, it's 1990. And, and the, weird, the weird thing is, out of all the stuff I've ever done, probably the word is, is the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> there were good elements of it. But the weird thing is, I did it for like five years. I was heavily involved on the music side. Yeah. You know, that's why it kind of hit the mark most times. But... <laughs> All the stuff I get associated with, like the hopefuls and all this awful shit that they used to do, you know, with <laughs> the studio events and everything. I hated, you know, I even gave, I gave up arguing with them halfway through Series 3. I just thought, what's the point, you know? So it is interesting, that because I've seen you talk about it and it's... it's it's, I'm embittered. That's well, it's what I not, am. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it, but it's almost like, as much as those, the, the hopefuls was kind of piss take of you know people wanting to be on TV, but I, it was almost like the the, the people uh, you know the presenters of the world were treated quite badly by the the, the behind the scenes guys were the kind of posh public school kind oh, of all boys. of them yeah. yeah and it wasn't just your minor ones it was all West Westminster St Paul's yeah. you know Rodine Rugby Harrow Eton. <laughs> You know, and it, and it is strange yeah. because it's kind of... You know, I mean, they were nice enough guys, but they didn't have the experience. When I worked, to, uh, even in Radio Derby, the team I built there all went on, on to do amazing things, but they were actually good at what they did. And got, but but, I, but what, what I mean by that is they'd have a point of view, speak to you about it, you'd discuss it, you'd have a reason. With yeah. these guys, you, you sometimes felt, hang on, I'm the one with the eight years' experience. I'm the one who's promoted promoted gigs and managed bands and blah, blah, blah. And I felt like, you know, the gardener on Downton Abbey <laughs> when he says, well, I, I think we should plant the roses in uh, April this, this year, you know, because I think the frosts aren't coming back. And he said, how dare you speak out of turn? <laughs> yeah. We always plant the roses in May. You know, so it was a bit like that. Yeah. Um, but it's weird because, you know, you're authentically a, a working-class guy, like you say, from the centre of Manchester... So it's kind of, in a way, to, for you to be put like on a, a big TV show like that was was still quite unusual at that time. Like you would well, get comics who were working class, like you say, but I think there, there, a TV was a very middle-class environment, I think, wasn't it? Well, well I mean, don't forget, I'd gone to grammar school, I'd gone yeah. to polytechnic. <laughs> Listen, that's quite good. You know, I mean, I was four for six kids, you know, just outside the medals. What could I do? You know, immigrants, that's what we were. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I still lived in a house with an outside toilet till I was 12, you know. And in fact, that, when I used to go, go to that toilet for a shit, that was the only time I was ever in a room on my own till I was 18. <laughs> it was like a breath of fresh air. <laughs> but, but so, it, I mean, it's hard to, hard to explain that. And it does make you... You know, you, 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 are, you are full of resentment as, yeah. in, a, in a way, you know, and it, it kind of, I don't know, it's hard to describe really. But, it, you know, I, I, I remember watching The Word and, like, you know, I was, I was I suppose, sort of the target age for it at the time as well. And it was, we always watched it. So, like, we, yeah, uh, yeah. but there was that element of going, it was, it was almost the first show that then Channel 4 
did a lot of shows like that. So about ten years later, did a lot of shows that were trying to be like an edgy version of the word. Word became too nasty, I think. Whereas I think the word it was sometimes a bit nasty. Well, well, I mean, the stuff like the hopefuls, we only did half of series four, half of series five. Yeah, we, but we never relied on gimmicks and contrivances before that, except for in the choices of, of stuff. You know, you'd have these ridiculous arguments that go on, you know, really wearing over stuff that was just very basic. Um, but, I mean, I, what, what I always used to get when I did the word was everyone loved the show but hated me. <laughs> and I'd go, I mean, that, that's like loving, you know, the church but hating Jesus. <laughs> get crucified for that, can't you? But, you know what I mean? What's that all about? <laughs> But it was also like, you, I watched a couple of bits of it, an episode of it this morning, and it, it's very much that 90s, 90s thing where everyone is so, you know, it's that irony, everything's couched in irony, and no one's really saying anything they think for fear of looking uncool, you know what I mean? But that was, that was just the 90s, wasn't it? I don't it? know, a lot of our humour on that show was a bit 1970s carry-on, <laughs> you know, and it was kind of... Because you've got to remember, I kind of wanted to be John Peel, yeah. you know? I didn't want to be... and So I didn't know how to be when I was on TV, and the only way I could think to be, especially to make that show feel like anything, was to almost become this cardboard cut-out scally from Manchester for them, because yeah. that's what they wanted... So I knew how to do that yeah. because obviously you'd have to pretend to do that, you know, to the kids that you grew up with around our way. You know, like when they catch you coming back from the library. <laughs> that was a frightening experience, you know. <laughs> Try and explain to your mates, uh, what you got in your bag? Books. You know, like, it's like burn the wizard. You know, it was one of them. So... Yeah, so you, it, it was just a different experience, I suppose. And yeah. then it was a bit overwhelming, you know, because it was like no one expected it to be as big as it was. I mean, we used to get a 49% audience share. You'd get people, like, taking a, taking a mickey out of it, and yet every series, the figures went up. And it, no, know. I mean, it's a big, you know, it's a big show. And I don't, it's, it's very interesting. I was watching the Oliver Reed one, but what I found interesting about that, and I couldn't find... I could only find the clips about the Oliver Reed. A... It sort of seemed there was people larking around behind him. It seemed disrespectful, even though he was dr- supposedly drunk. But Bill Hicks was on the sofa sitting next to him, Absol- absolutely <laughs> jet lagged, right? And and only only came on because he was he was virtually kidnapped by Channel Four because he was doing a Channel Four special, right? So he was such a lovely bloke, you know. We, we were chatting away, but it was just like he just said, "Look, just feed me the lines. I'll talk about this and talk about that." Right. I felt really sorry for him, and then we had. We had, did we have a Russian model on? There was, there was, well, Ollie Reed. There was a, there was a girl just, at the end, yeah. So, the, yeah, just. But the Oliver Reed stuff was weird because, like, there was people, there was someone pulling with a dinosaur behind his head, and you kind of think you've got Oliver Reed on this <laughs> thing, and well, he, people and are wasted just take, as a guest. Yeah, yeah. He's got things to talk about. You know, he, he yeah. would have been almost as interesting as Charlie Paul. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, we get him drunk. Yeah. Or pretend to, you know, and then play all these tricks, which nobody would have thought was funny. You know, is that, that thing they used to do with the big breakfast as well, you know, where it's funny for about the first 20 seconds and it's like, fuck off. <laughs> you know, do fuck off. You know, it's like, um, yeah, it was very, very odd in those days. But, but I have to say, you know, having done the, the word and looking back on it, it was, it was kind of better than I thought it was. That's why people still talk about, you know, in terms of we didn't, miss out on any of the music. Yeah. We did capture a certain amount of the zeitgeist at the time, 
which which I suppose was was important. But I even remember like the Daily Mail. I I think I won the most hated man in Britain <laughs> in the Daily Mail. I think I, I think I picked Fred West. <laughs> Look. <laughs> he wasn't in everyone's front room every every Friday, was it? You know, um, I think. Yeah, I think. A bit, although having said that, they did. You know, the Daily Mail did make Adolf Hitler Man of the Year That's once, true. didn't they? Yeah. So maybe I shouldn't feel too bad about that. <laughs> so was it? Was it not? Was it? Were you enjoying it at the time, despite all of this stuff, or was it too? Was it too much to? Because you did. You didn't. You stayed and did every single show, right? You were in every series. It, in a weird way, it's like once you're on it, you've got to ride it to the end. Yeah. Um, but it was just such a, a kind of, yeah. It was just so weird. So I just hid all the time. Well, not really, but you know, obviously, I had my, I had my mates in Manchester and what have you, but. I just hid away from it, so I never went. I hardly ever went to any sort of launch parties in London or anything like that. Right. Um, and and the, the few that you'd end up going to, just because you were down it, it was somewhere to go. You'd always try and find someone who you thought was your level of celebrity. So you think, <laughs> well, who is someone that I, I can talk to about something, but they don't know who I am? So it'd, it'd be like Stuart Jobson. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Talking about skids, b-sides, and the Armory Show. But but yeah, I mean, it was it was very very strange, and it was also strange because of the way you were portrayed by the press, that people would think they knew you, but all the things they knew about you weren't anything, you know, that, that you were like. You yeah. know what I mean, it's like I never, you know, I think I've had two half-e's in my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> I never did drugs other than smoking the odd joint. Yeah. I didn't do any class A's. I was probably the only person on Channel 4 who didn't. <laughs> you know, so it, it was really odd. You know, then people would think you were, you were basically Sean Ryder. Yeah. And I used to go, no, compared to me, Sean Ryder's quite middle class. <laughs> you know, believe it or not. You know, his dad used to come out of my house, actually, really? Derek, you know. But again, you know, because his dad was a script writer, his mum was a school teacher. You know, my dad was a labourer. My mum did the school dinners. <laughs> so she fed, she fed more people than Marcus Rashford. <laughs> It's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of interested in that behind the, you know, the, the, there was obviously a conflict. I've seen, I saw you talking to Samir Ahmed, who's on uh, next week on this show, uh, at the BFI, I think, with, um, with Katie. Uh, and there's obviously like, a, there was a conflict between the presenters and the, and the production team. And it feels like the production team would just, they were, you know, they were just trying to whip up stories. It, 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 and... it was just self-defeated. Yeah. Because, you know, your job if you're producing something is to make it good. And, and the word could have been a good show. I, I had a lot of skills, believe it or not. You know, yeah. people like Ned Sherring were fans of mine. But it was almost <laughs> like, if they just tried to make it more difficult, they moved the goalposts every week. And yeah. then, then they'd say to guests, thinking it was funny, uh, give him a hard time. So the easiest way for them to give you a hard time is I'm interviewing some American guests and they go, I don't understand a word you're saying. And that wasn't true, you know. <laughs> Even less so now with Game of Thrones, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, King in the North and all <laughs> that. But, you know, so it was just, it, it was kind of self-defeating and it was, yeah, it was strange. I think it, it, it was schizophrenic in a way, the word. Yeah. I think that's, that's maybe what, what makes it interesting. But even, even with Katie, you know, lovely girl, but... The, the woman from Manchester that I kept trying to get an audition and get on the word as a presenter, they didn't even audition her because they said, well, we can't have two presenters from, from Manchester on the show. Yeah. That's disgraceful. <laughs> so, but I, I still think Carolina Hearn would have done all right. I <laughs> think she probably would have done. Well, it was, and, and you, with, were you and Mark Lamar 
was it was it a strange Look, relationship? Was it an okay it, relationship? Uh, well, me and Mark very very odd because you know spoke to him, got on with him, had a lot in common with him. We're both Irish descent. We're both kind of working class. I've never heard anyone from Swindon with a Cockney accent before, but maybe I don't get around enough. Um, and we, we were fine, but he just seemed... He seemed determined to not be my mate, and then it all got built up out of, you know, out of hand, really. So it was, yeah. it was a press thing. I think it came from his manager, Addison Cresswell, and from him at the time, you'd have to ask him about that. Yeah. I've done my two and a half years of therapy... <laughs> <laughs> I could probably do with another 10 years of it, but yeah, ask him. But there was no, there was never a fight between us. No. I think I pushed him once. Right. You know, he grabbed me there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I mean, I, and I had to think, what should I do? Nut him, twat him, and lose my 250 grand a year job. <laughs> or, you know, it's just one of those things that was just weird. Very, yeah. very odd. And I think he was, you know, he was very conscious of his image, Mark. And uh... what image? <laughs> well, he was sort of. It was cool, wasn't he? I think it's sort was of. He? It was a weird. Well, he thought he, he you know, he, I think the the word was a weird choice for him because he was like he felt he was almost on it, and he felt like it was beneath him to be on it. But he chosen to be on it. I, I thought I, I always felt he had that. At the time, I always felt, you know, he, he always had that air of sweaty desperation of like a bloke in the waiting room of a brothel insisting that he didn't have to pay for it. Because, I mean, he was doing that when he was on the word. Oh, I never wanted to be on the word. And yet you're thinking, well, you were doing like Camden cable television for nothing. It's like hospital radio. And, and there's no harm in that. It's a career move. And, he, you know, and he did well. And, he, you know, he whatever. But I just thought it was very, very odd. Just the whole thing. Yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And you're so, you know, you're, you were so much the, the front man of the show that you're so associated with the show. Is it still something that people, is that what people, do people still bring that up? With I you? did and, and have done and do other things. I know, but... Uh, I'm, but uh, I, I, I'm like William Shatner, insisting <laughs> that he didn't just do Star Trek. <laughs> 
He but, also did TJ Hawker. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult. You've done a lot of other things, but it's difficult when, when, you're, so, so, when you're so much the front man of something like that. Well, I, it was just the press. I mean, it yeah. was... I mean, the press, because contractually, I had to do, like, 12 interviews... Or 12, you know, 12 in it. And I hated doing them because everyone was the same. I'd go in there, they'd just make it up. <laughs> you know, whoever I did an interview with, they never once reported what I said. I mean, funnily enough, I did a, a two-way with Piers Morgan. God. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, on Good Morning Britain. You yeah. know, the day that Jose Mourinho uh, got the job as United right. manager. And so I was outside Old Trafford doing this two-way and just basically predicting exactly what happened with Jose Mourinho. That is an, irritant, an irritating trait of mine. I'm often right. Because <laughs> uh, I just knew, you know, that, that although he'd been successful, he'd always, he'd always inherited, you know, successful sides, had mega budgets, you know what I mean, and played dull football anyway. And I knew that United, after two years of Louis van Gaal, no one was going to put up with that. But at the end, uh, what is it, you know, uh, Piers Morgan said, well, thank you, Terry, and thank you, Piers. I said, that's the first time you've asked me a question and not made up the answer. <laughs> Needless to say, I wasn't on that for another two years. <laughs> well, I watched you uh, on on G- the Good Morning Britain with Piers talking about bre- Brexit. I think was it? Oh yeah, yeah, Mark with Fran- uh, Mark Francois. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was very much the Terry Christian show. I just thought, let's just be an unrelenting cunt. <laughs> Because, I mean, the weird thing, what's great, if you do watch the clip, try and watch Piers Morgan trying to shout down a kid who was a fourth of six in a big Irish family. <laughs> just was never going to happen. Especially when his only act is the fake concern dial up to 11, yeah. the fake outrage dial up to 11. I mean, he literally lives uh, halfway between a sneer and an arse lick. <laughs> no offence. <laughs> I don't think anyone would be... Well, I don't think... He blo- he's finally blocked me on Twitter, Piers Morgan, after... Oh, he blocked me ages ago. Yeah. After that, actually. Did he, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's... But it's... You've obviously got very strongly held, because I also saw you with uh, old Tim Weatherspoons. Is that his name? Oh, Ian Tim, Weatherspoons. Tim Martin yeah. from Weatherspoons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it was one of those where I just... I, I do... I've always had this horrible thing in me where I do love annoying people as yeah. well. So I can't, I can't really expect to be necessarily loved in return. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I went on... A, there was like a poll I'd done on, on Twitter, and it was about Brexit, and it was basically, I said, look, you know, if a business is, is uh, losing money and having to lay people off because of Brexit, is it fair that Brexit voters get laid off first? <laughs> And, and it's because uh, there were a couple of guys in Manchester that I knew were doing this. One, one, of, them, one of them ran a big building company and uh, his costs were going up, you know, because the pound had crashed by about 18% and blah, blah, blah. And he had blokes around him who said, well, it's all project fear. And he's going, oh, fucking cunt. <laughs> You're first out the door. And, um, and, and it, so, 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 so that, that's, that's what I went on talking about. But, oh, yeah, yeah the, the, the kind of, you know, it's like they want to build a wicker man. <laughs> You know, for, you know, because you're saying it and you're thinking, well, you know, what is it you actually want? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's good to have someone voicing that stuff. Though I kind of wonder whether, in a way, it let them off the hook because they didn't get a chance to say anything. Oh, you, oh, you is... mean on the, oh, not on the Tim Martin one, you mean the Yeah, the other, the other one. one, the other one. You know, well, the other one, you just knew you were never going to get, get yeah. an answer. And, right. and then, then it was just trying, they were just trying to attack. You know yeah. what I mean? So it was one of those. And it, and it, it was like Piers Morgan. It's bit, it, I think, uh, I suppose... It, 
because he used a couple of old tweets he'd sent out, neither of which he was ashamed of, and one was, like, completely out of context anyway, so it was just like a load of old crap. <laughs> you literally want old-age pensioners to die. <laughs> no, never said that. <laughs> but if you keep saying it, you know, yeah, very strange. So it's become a bit of a meme for uh, the far right, you know. Right. And it's just stupid. I don't know even, even know why I went down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, this is why I was in therapy. I've got issues... But, you know, you've always been an opinionated person and, you know, you've... That, but that's, everybody's that's opinionated, okay. yeah, aren't they? Okay. But the weird thing is, it's, it's the Downton Abbey syndrome again. You know, you can be opinionated if you're Stephen Fry and you're seen <laughs> as very erudite. You say, yeah. you say it in an accent like mine from Old Trafford, it's like troublemaker. And then the other one I get in uh, Manchester as well, and my mate Pete attests to this, is uh, that he puts the accent on. A <laughs> <laughs> fake accent, as if you would. That's really going to get you on in life, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I'll be reading the news at 10 soon. <laughs> in Downton Abbey world. Right, I'm going to ask you... I've got a new emergency question. I, I want to see the answer. I should, have asked, I should be asking everyone this. This comes out of a discussion about butterflies that I had with someone a few weeks ago. If you could go into a chrysalis, if you could sort of, you know, shed your skin, whatever happens, and you melt... You, the Terry Crisp would melt inside the chrysalis... And then you can emerge as anything you want. It can be you, it can be a person, it can be a thing. What would you choose to emerge out of the chrysalis in your place? God. Yeah. I mean, I'd just have to be me, really. Yeah. I've got no choice. <laughs> just come exactly the same? Would you well, change anything? Well, not exactly. Anything? Me with less... Uh, how can I put it, I suppose? I mean, it's not my fault. I mean, we, you know, we, we grew up in quite a tough area, so you, you carry a certain look on your face and a way of saying things that... Yeah that might sound more aggressive than you actually are. You know, because otherwise, those kids who see you coming back from the library <laughs> are going to bat you and yeah. scatter your books everywhere. So, uh, and, it, and it's just... And then also, you know, going to the, the kind of Catholic grammar school that I went to, uh, which was, you know, St. Bede's. So, it, I mean, now it's gone private. So it's quite funny. Now I get attacked for that. Well, you went to private school. <laughs> so, yeah, what? The one that I left and went private seven years later. Uh, but, but it's kind of... A, it, it was quite a nasty place. It was like Borstal with incense. You know, it, it, it kind of had an insidiousness to it. And the weird thing is, is everyone thinks that if you've got a grammar school, you, you're soft. And yet my old primary school, St. Alphonsus in Old Trafford, provided... Uh, two out of the three cocks of the year above me, <laughs> you know what I mean? And in Old Trafford as well, you know, so it was like, well, mm, maybe you've misjudged that one. Right. Because so, it was, a, you know, it was a different era. It was an era when there was a certain amount of social mobility, and, and especially amongst, you know, immigrants, if you like, of Irish descent, you know, yeah. so Carolina Hearn, me, you know, even Steve Coogan, although then, you know, I suppose you're back to grandparents, uh, just nearly everyone in Manchester's from, from that kind of background. It's, it's yeah. sort of odd. Manchester's 40% Catholic. Mm-hmm. Isn't it weird? Imagine if they all actually went to church. <laughs> Fucking frightening. Well, talking of that, you, you did try out stand-up. Is that something you, you're carrying on with? Loved or? it. I was yeah. just getting good at it, and then I stopped. Right. Then the, so that was basically a show that I did called Naked Confessions of a Recovering Catholic. Um, but it basically boiled down to I'm a bit of a twat, but it's God's fault. And um, <laughs> So, yeah, so it was about the dark side in a way, yeah. you know. The dark side of it, but quite funny. And then a lot of it about, you know, about being Irish. And I used to do a stills bit where I'd show you all the saints, pictures of the saints and what they do. Right. You know. And, yeah, it's up to you. You can believe it or not. You know, <laughs> the, the child of Prague or the infant of Prague. I never knew 
that it was infant in Prague until I was like in my thirties. I thought it was the child of Prague was some like <laughs> statue of Jesus to do with somewhere in Ireland called Prague. <laughs> Where's that? Do you know what do you know what the, the superstition is about the I don't know infant in Prague? So in Ireland, the superstition is if it's raining on your wedding day. You put this little statue of Jesus, the baby Jesus. Well, not Jesus, aged about twelve, with a crown on his head, okay. in your back garden or your backyard, and it makes it sunny in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing weird about that, is there? <laughs> the horrible thing is, I've seen it go out three times, one hundred percent success. Wow! But I do remember for our Sheila's wedding, you know, my youngest sister, and she was getting married in a Catholic church, and my auntie Mag came over from Ireland and bought. In, in her suitcase, <laughs> a child of Prague. And it was raining, went out in the back garden of our council house. And we're going, what mumbo-jumbo is this? Say, ah, these young ones, they think they know everything, but they know nothing, do they? Rah, rah, rah. Anyway, bright sunshine, we were like idiots. And it, a miracle, that's what they said. But yeah. if, if you wanted a good miracle, it should have stopped uh, G, uh, our Sheila marrying that fucking knobhead from Gort. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't last. And a city fan too. Sorry. <laughs> so why did you, were we doing that in like theatres or in clubs? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did theatres, I did clubs. Uh, it, it, it kind of did well. Uh, yeah. the, but the weird thing is I didn't... I just wanted to try it out to see if I could do it. So now I'm, I'm going to do one about the word... And then I'll read it. Because obviously, I thought, why not do a stand-up show about the word in the 90s? And I'll show some clips and all the rest of it. Because I am William Shatner. <laughs> I have got no choice. All, all I'll ever get is the word till the day I die. I might as well embrace it a bit. Um, and then I, I'll probably do do a, another version of uh, Naked Confessions of a Recovering Catholic. You know, especially now that I've had the therapy. Yeah. I've got more perspective do you think the therapy helps with... I mean, I've always avoided having therapy because, you know, I will mean, it help I, with the comedy or is it going to destroy I, I, the I, I kind of needed it. Yeah, yeah, it'll help. It'll help. I mean, I always <laughs> had an ability to laugh at myself, but, you know, laugh till I cried. <laughs> <laughs> I've always just used stand-up as therapy. I think, like, if you just talk... I think what's interesting, if you talk about the bad stuff that happens to you, yeah, in front but, of the people, it kind of does. It does quite quite a lot of the. I don't know. I mean, but you see, the thing is that you know, I'm lucky that I've got a lot of mates. But if I wanted, you know, my mates to talk me through it all, you know, and say, look, you know, I'm not, I'm not all that bad. They go, no, you're always a bit of a cunt. <laughs> so that doesn't really help. So now, what I want to do is find my inner demon and wash it, but bring it out every now and then, just yeah. for fun. You've to got, play. Yeah, but you've got to stay being Terry Christian, even if that's well, the, I, a I mean, I, I will be, because let's face it, it's really served me well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I love all the people who do the usual stuff, you know, didn't you used to be Terry Christian? <laughs> that one. Yeah. And then the other one that, that I really like is, uh, are you that twat, Terry Christian? And you go, <laughs> what's the right answer? <laughs> De- my, depends, depends on <laughs> what day it is. And you've, you've written books, right, about... Yes, about, I've written books. You've written books, but what, is one of them... What, on Wikipedia, it says one of them was going to be made into a film, but then this was... Oh, no, 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 the, the Oasis one. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what's happening with that. So uh, the, the guy has just done the film The Pebble and the Boy, the right. mod film. So he's, he's kind of trying to adapt it, but it's one of those, it's like, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's... Because... That, I mean, I remember I had to argue for eight weeks to get them on the word, right? Because they hadn't, they hadn't done anything. Yeah. And then 
we got them on three, two or three weeks before the first single even came out, and it was it was it was my ex missus, and she was like the top top plugger to radio, promote to radio and TV in the country at the time, you know, for regional stuff and she did national stuff. So she broke the Stone Roses. She broke, uh, she got Prince's only number one. And uh, obviously, so she did Oasis from day one, did the first two albums. Right. And Noel even, even had his contract from Creation Records faxed through to her office. His girlfriend, Louise Jones, who went out with for like six and a half years, she worked for, for my ex-missus in the offices in Manchester. So, obviously, I'm under pressure from every side to get Oasis on the word. You know, this is my job. Anyone from Manchester, if they're any good. Oh, the, the, the resistance I got because we, we booked this, uh, uh, these lads of Pakistani descent called the Khalifs who are all from, like, Rochdale, and one of them was from Manchester who was signed to London Records on. I think they did a track called Rolling with the Cliquer. So we had them on. It was like the old, Terry, we, we, we can't... Sorry if I do this kind of voice. You know? <laughs> But it's better than posh people doing my voice. That's the way I say it. You know, Terry, you know, we, we can't have two, we can't have two bands from Manchester on the same show. And I go, well, why not? You'd have two bands from London on. Well, yeah, but that's different. I said, yeah, you've not had a music scene since fucking punk. <laughs> right? So, it, but in the end, the band pulled out. We got them on. And then about three months later, they'd had a number one album and all the rest of it. And there's a big, big write-up in the evening news. Uh, you know, interviewing Noel and everything. And then Noel says, and God knows how we managed to blag our way on onto the word with our first single three weeks before it came out. <laughs> and I'm going, you... And then... But, and even the journalist who didn't particularly like me, this Penny Anderson, she went, well, as everyone in Manchester knows, uh, no, God had nothing to do with it. It was Terry Christian. But he hates it. He hates it. Really, really odd. Very odd, you know. A prophet is never recognised in his own country. <laughs> no wonder I'm in therapy. But yeah, I, I mean, the best one though was about the because we used to do repeats of uh, the shows in the summer, yeah, and we'd use two thirds of the band's performances, and they never included Oasis. Right. But when we came back for the next series after that, series five, we had a new editor, and he was going, oh, "We've got to get Oasis on. They're the biggest band in the world." And we we did them a favour by putting them on the last series. I'm going. We, right? <laughs> and then it was like, uh, and then, then he said, oh, Oasis aren't doing it. We want the exclusive, uh, but they want to do later as well. I said, well, let them do later. It doesn't make any difference to us. He said, yeah, but, um, you know, we did them a favour, and so we want the world exclusive. I'm going, what the f-? Do you see what I'm, I was up against? Yeah. So we had the world exclusive then of a band called Dog Eat Dog. <laughs> Ever heard of them? <laughs> you know, but just ridiculous. You know, and you're thinking, hang on, wait, you didn't want them on. You didn't yeah. even use them in the repeats. Now... We've invented them, and they must kiss our collective ring. Yeah, you know TV. Yeah, well, you know it is, but it's a it's a weird business, and I think a lot of those shows and a lot of those youth shows would, would you know would eat people up and spit them out again, wouldn't they? So it wasn't it what didn't really matter to the people who were booking all that. You know, to the, the executives, it didn't matter who was fronting it. If it worked, it worked. If it didn't, you know, fuck off. It's this. Uh, yeah, but you see, they, they, they kept bringing me back, didn't they? Yeah, because it was working. Yeah, you? yeah, well, but, but also, it was, it was really strange. What they would never give me was a writing credit or an associate producer credit, IP. But I've got them on image rights. <laughs> so it's always lovely to see a clip of myself on the telly. <laughs> <laughs> no one else had it. You know, so, it, you know, so there's still that. Yeah. I still have that. But, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was a strange time. I mean, it, it was quite str- It was sort of a bit PTSD in a weird way because of what you were, you were dealing with for, like, five years, solid. 
Yeah. You know, because, it, you know, it wasn't normal. No. Do you know what I mean? And every time you do an interview in the press and blah, 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 then your mum and dad would be, you know, because they, they, they used to go down the railway club in, in Old Trafford, that's where they went. Or the ex-servicemen's, which was always interesting for me dad, you know, because he was from Dublin and came over literally the week after VJ Day. Right. You know, and I used to say to him, Dad, what, you know, if they ask you what, what unit you were in in World War Two, what do you say? And he'd say, <laughs> I just tell them I was in the Hoigo Scheutz. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so... And how was uh, Celebrity Big Brother? Surprisingly re- relaxing. Because I, I had two young kids, <laughs> you know, at the time. It was sort of weird to be cut off for three weeks. And then, with, I mean, I knew some of the people, so I knew Tina Malone. I'd met Coolio before, although he couldn't remember, but then why would he? Uh, I'd met Ulrika once. Um, so, you know, yeah, yeah, it was weird. It, but it was quite good fun, really. Yeah. Um, you know, again, when you're from a big family, like, it gives you a bit of an advantage because you're used to everyone. You know, first of all, you've got three, three older brothers and sisters all being a bit horrible to you, although <laughs> my older sister did die. You know, she died quite young. But, um, but yeah, so you're always, like, bullied a bit anyway. And there would always be some big argument or drama going on around you, so you could just sort of sit back and let it go and throw your own niggling every now and then, <laughs> you know, just to sort of, you know, f- you know, feed the flames. Yeah. You know, so... <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was quite good fun doing Celebrity Big Brother. Okay. I mean, that, I, mean I could tell you, I don't, I don't know if it's suitable for consumption. There is a very yeah. funny story around that. But I then, reckon it's suitable. Yeah, but it, but, it, but it involves it involves using bad words. That's all right, you're allowed to use bad words. Mm, okay, well, well the weird well, thing is, we, we were the... F- okay, right. <laughs> well, you can cut this out, by the way. Okay. But we were the first Big Brother after the Shil Pachetti oh, yes. one, and they'd taken a year off because of racism. So... We're in, and then up late at night, it was always me, Cooley, me and Coolio, and then Vern. And we'd, we'd sort of, well, this one particular night was Vern. So it was me, Coolio, and Vern who were up. And Coolio was saying to Vern, hey, Vern, tell... T-. So there, there were various, um, oh, gosh, kind of videos going around on the internet of Vern, right? Yeah. So Coolio said, hey, Vern, tell Terry about you and those two chicks. And he was doing that with his arm, and I'm going, well, you know, okay, well, whatever. But I knew that Vern was on Celebrity Big Brother to get over that. And obviously, <laughs> when you're kind of two foot six, like Vern was, you're looking at Walt Disney films, aren't you? And having done, you know, been in those sort of videos, he needed to move on from that. So he didn't want this speaking about it. So he went, fuck you, Cooley, oh, shut the fuck up. And Cooley was saying, oh, fuck that, Vern. Because they knew each other from LA. They were mates. They used to go around playing playing FIFA and stuff like that together, you know, on the Xboxes and Playstations and stuff. And he'd say, no, you tell him. And he'd say, hey, Terry, so Vern's there with these two chicks. <laughs> and Vern's going, fuck you, shut the fuck up, Coolio. And Coolio goes, oh, fuck, fuck you, Vern. And Vern went, fuck you, N-word. Fuck you. And it's so, I, well, because I knew that this was their worst nightmare yeah. on the live feed, right? <laughs> so it's, fuck you, N-word. Fuck, and he goes, fuck you, you fucking sex dwarf. <laughs> it's like, fuck you, Edward. Do you know what? I couldn't breathe. I was laughing that much. 
I, I was actually on the floor. You know when you think you're going to die? I couldn't, because I just knew all the, you know, like Sebastian, Tarquin and Quentin would be in the control. Get the bird song on! <laughs> because these were their big stars that they were paying big money for. They didn't want them booted out on the first week and the, the whole thing shut down. But, oh, Jesus, that was funny, yeah. you know. <laughs> Sorry, you can <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> I think it's probably all right. We might have a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, oh, you know, it was just... <laughs> this is day three. Day, day three in the Big Brother house. <laughs> you thought Shulk Machete was bad? <laughs> right, I'll ask you some emergency questions then. It's an easy, it's an easy cut. Uh, <laughs> we want to go there. Um, oh, well, there, I'll try this. What's the most bizarre wrong number text that you've ever received? Have you ever had a... An unusual text come to you? Um, no. Nope. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Got to take a punt. We'll cut that out. That's the only bit we we'll <laughs> um, Who or what is your favourite Jacob or Jacobs? I don't know. Any. You didn't have Jacobs where I grew up. Jacobs, cream crackers. Oh, cream crackers. I never liked them. What about Jacob from the Bible, if you're so Catholic? Jacob, well, more New Testament, not Old Testament. <laughs> Catholics don't read the Bible, it's all in Latin. Okay, let's try another one. Jacob Rees-Mogg, did you yeah, mean? Yeah, Jacob rees I thought you'd go for Jacob Rees-Mogg. I think you might have worked on the word. I'm going to go early. Terry Christian, this is, you see, this is a question you should have asked on the word. Have you ever tried to suck your own cock, Terry Christian? <laughs> No. No. <laughs> I haven't got a neck like a giraffe. <laughs> did you meet John Wayne? Did you interview John Wayne Bobbitt on... Yes, yeah. yes. John Wayne Bobbitt was a weird one. Was he? Well, well, because I, I interviewed him and he, and he was... He might actually be one of the thickest people I've met in my life. <laughs> and, and he was there, you know, because obviously I had to get the story out of him. Um, and what, what he was famous for, John Wayne Bobbitt, wasn't so much having his penis chopped off by his missus, he was the first one who ever had it sewn back on and it worked again. So he was actually doing a, a tour of all these uh, gay clubs. And so I was interviewing him, in a, I think it was Fort Lauderdale or, or uh, one of these places in Florida. And so he was telling me the story and obviously the rumour was going around that he'd, he'd beaten his wife up, Lorena, and that's why she, yeah. you know... Um, and it was, but every time I was talking, talking to him, he kept going, well, yeah, well, I'd been out drinking with my buddy and blah, blah, blah. He said, I never beat her up. I hadn't even asked him that. You know, nice. he went, no, 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 I never beat her up. Whatever he said, he just kept finishing with that. But then when he was telling me the story, it was harrowing because what happened was she cut it off and then he, he, she, she went off with it in her hand in the yeah. car, then drove off in the car, then randomly wound the window down and threw it out on some waste ground. And in the meantime, he'd staunched the bleeding with, uh, I know, exactly. Look, I was there looking at him in the eyes, he's telling me this. And he staunched the bleeding with a towel. And then he'd been, and his mate who he'd been out drinking with was asleep on the, the couch. And he woke him up and he said, oh, look, can you give me a lift to the hospital? He can't phone ambulances in the USA, you know, he's like that. He said, my marine training came in, blah, blah, blah. And he said, and then, he said, and then my friend got up and went to brush his teeth first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, went to brush his teeth. And when he got to the hospital, the police had to find it, and they only had, like, four hours, you know, or whatever. They had to find it within a certain... So they, they ended yeah. up finding it in the grass, didn't they? 
How did they find it? Well, not using a torch, whatever. Would, would it have had did they have a dog? They must have had a special oh, dog you know, they just... trained to sniff out cocks. But yeah, I mean... Probably wasn't even police work to begin but, with. Well, but, we could use this cock dog. But, I mean, but obviously this stuff is quite traumatising yeah. you know, to listen to, but like, everyone's laughing at it. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine it? You know, laughing at it. I mean, there was, there was a woman in China... And when she did it to her husband, having heard the John Wayne Bobbitt one about him getting it cut off and getting it sewn back on again and it working, she went and shoved her husbands in the, you know, the, one of them liquidizer things. <laughs> a Moulin X manicure. <laughs> you know, that's spiteful though, isn't it? <laughs> you know. Cutting it off's one thing, but yeah. Putting in a liquid. You know, I'm women's lib all the way, but fucking hell. <laughs> It is interesting that it's uh, that it's somehow a a comedy thing. It is, but it is though, isn't it? It's it's interesting that it's if that if that was the other way around, there would be absolutely oh, yeah, no comedy yeah. in it at all. Oh, it'd be shock horror. Yeah, but a wom- a woman doing to a man is somehow it still is funny. Just just cocks are just funny enough Nobody to get ca- over to get over any trauma. Nobody cares about us. That's why. No, no, they don't. It's like big cook, little cook. That's that. They've they've had their cocks effectively carved, haven't they? <laughs> It's a good. I just cut, it, I thought of him because you know it's a good way to suck your own cock, isn't it? That's the that's the way around it. That many at, of those men at least thought. at least this won't be controversial, will it? <laughs> it won't. Well, it's very it's very very good for the word. Um, have you ever seen a ghost, Terry Christian? Um, no, but I've 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 had some. <laughs> I had the willies bought. Sounds terrible. No, but but I've kind of had. Um, you know, because obviously when you work on radio for years, you always, you, you'd have a clairvoyant and you meet these people. And there's been some weird th- I used to do a radio show with uh, John Ronson as my sidekick. Mm. So he, we'd always, I'd always get him on all that, you know, UFOs, spiritualism. I'd, I'd, I'd set him a, set, a, a special task every night for the right. next night. Yeah, I'd play the Mission Impossible music, which he then nicked later on. And I went, your mission, should you choose to accept it, John, is to go out and find out if there's such a thing as God. <laughs> and he was brilliant because then he'd come out. He'd, then he'd come back to you the next night with like this spiel that was virtually off his head, off the top of his head, you know, about yeah. you know looking at paintings in B and Q. And then he'd come to to his conclusion. But he, and then I go, so what is your conclusion? Is there such a thing as God? And he go, well, we just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so all that stuff, uh, you know, I've, I've had. Ex- I was told by this woman, and uh, this was back in 1988. And she, she took my keys off me and she said, I can see you're travelling all around the world. I was so scared of flying. You know, I didn't have any great travelling am- ambitions. You know, you'd have to strap me into a seat, you know, to fly to, fly to Greece once, once a year for holiday. Uh, that I'd fly all around the world, I'd do this, I'd do that, do the other. That the police would be knocking on my door. Whoa. Everything happened within... 18 months of that. So I was on the word, flying, you know, going over to the USA all the time, mm-hmm. Hawaii, you know, Jamaica, blah, 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 all the rest of it. Um, and then the police did come knocking on my door because, in fact, it's on Would I Lie to You, which they keep showing on a loop. I wish I had the repeat for that. When me and a mate of mine were like, he was the secret guest on it, we got arrested in Derby as a suspected jewel thieves. <laughs> really? Yeah, well, well, not arrested, like surrounded by about eight, eight cars. And they came round to my, my flat to apologise 
the police came round to me because I worked on Radio Derby. Imagine the damage I could have done to them. And meanwhile, I'm like that, this flat which is above the Halifax Building Society, and I'm like trying to keep the marijuana smoke out of the copper's nose. And Fane going, it's, it's all right, mate, don't worry about it. <laughs> we never done it. <laughs> Very amazing. You sure you didn't do it? That would be pretty good. <laughs> Absolutely positive. Sure? Well, the weird thing is, for, this, was, this was it. We were going down the road and we had donkey jackets on. I don't know what, why. We are both wearing donkey jackets. I think they were semi-trendy at the time. We had trainers with no socks. Now, it wasn't Miami Vice. It was just, you wouldn't do your laundry for it. You'd only do your laundry once every two weeks, wouldn't you? So we were both caught in that, you know, the... <laughs> And, we, and so when the cops got us, we said, well, when this, when this, this jewellery robbery happened, it's all about 20 minutes ago, so well, someone, why would, you still, why would still, we still be walking around the same place? <laughs> you know? It's like, as long as they, you know, imagine it, the brains of the operation. <laughs> Was the guy 20 minutes later still walking around in the same outfits? <laughs> well, you know, you never know. The police have a very hard job. <laughs> they do it. They're good, aren't they, the police? Everyone, what's everyone thinking about? No, they're not very popular, the police, are they? So I've noticed. Wonder what, what, what have they ever done? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, now I know. Um, so what's, what's coming up? Have you, how was, how's... You... Well, another book. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually doing a proper... I've, I've been planning this book for about 30 years, cause it's, so it's called True Faith, The Ultimate History of Manchester Music. And uh, it was weird because uh, I was interviewed for the Paul Morley book about Tony Wilson, and I first met Tony Wilson back in 1977. And uh, it's weird. God bless Paul. But he's, he's actually written the wrong thing in every, you know, every quote I gave him. And he recorded it all. And I haven't drunk that much. You know, when he, you think, well, what's the point of even changing that story? Um, so I, I, I just thought to pay tribute to them. But then also the fact that in Manchester, there was so much great black music came out of Manchester, but nobody knows what it is. Number one singles, you know, all sorts. And it's just overlooked. And obviously, you know, the area that I came from, you know, it was all these guys, you know, and it was like, well... How can you overlook them? Why are they never in? And yet you've got people who met at uni for three months are on, like, the tram map of Manchester. Right. And every single book about Manchester music, uh, you know, in terms of as a broad sheet, is written by people who aren't from Manchester. Yeah. You know, but, but always pretending they are. So <laughs> I'll go and be their nightmare <laughs> with this one. I'm so so, so Elliot Rashman, who managed Simply Red, is writing the foreword for it. And then uh, I was chatting to Alan Erasmus, you know, who's the only surviving... Uh, member of the, the original Factory Club with Tony Wilson, Rob Gretton and Alan Wise. And uh, he's in Lviv at the moment working in a... Work, help, helping out in a refuge centre. Okay. You know, a, refu- a, refu- a, a refugee hostel. Yeah. And uh, just sent me a really moving picture that I put on Twitter of uh, a young guy with his family, you know, his kids and his wife, and he's leaving them there and about to go to the front. Um, right, but yeah. Alan Erasmus is a great guy. But, I, you know, I, selfishly, I'm thinking, don't get killed because I need to do a big interview with you for the book. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so all those guys were, were just amazing that were around in Manchester. You know, because you, you've got to... We were uncool. It was, a bit, it was a bit like Man United before Alex Ferguson took over where we were so behind Liverpool as a football team. It, you know, up until 1978, yeah. we were kind of a mile behind Liverpool and everywhere else. And now it's like because of this guy who was a bit nuts, Tony Wilson, who was like, he just reinvented the whole place. Yeah. And even when you, you didn't like him, you, you, what was irritating about him when he died, you, you kind of realised that 
you were always secretly trying to impress him. It was interesting. When, when I started doing the word, I actually rang him up to find out how much say you should, you should get in a TV show, you know, if you're the presenter. Yeah. Because I was used to being, you know, my boss, if you like, on the radio for eight years, and I didn't like this idea that I wouldn't be in control, but I wasn't a control freak. And um, I remember I rang him up and he said, oh, hello, darling. He went, um, I said, I said, look, Tony, you know, if you're doing a, a, like a TV show, you know, how much say should you have in what goes on air? And he went, um, 14 and <laughs> I went, right. I said, uh, okay. And he went, no, 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 11 and I went, thanks, Tony. <laughs> That's the Jedi mind trick. That, no one else could do that. That's how he got New Order to put all their money into, uh, you know, into the Hacienda for years. You know, they go to a meeting and say, right, we've just come back from America, made 200,000. Um, the Hacienda needs a new roof, and it happens to be about to cost 200,000. <laughs> oh, right, shit. <laughs> so he, he, he had this magic about him. Yeah. Great. Well, that sounds brilliant. And um, look, you know, it's been fantastic to have you on. Thank you. And uh, just oh, got him on Radio Four, doing, doing great radio? lives. Oh, whose great life are you going to do? Tony, Tony Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> 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 on March the well, I'm recording it March the twenty third, so I don't know when it'll go out. With Matthew Parrish. Last time me and him did an interview, it didn't go well. Right. If you think I shouted at Piers Morgan, <laughs> hey. You know, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, have you recorded that already? Or no, 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 we're doing that on the 23rd. Okay. But obviously it'd be about Tony Wilson, not, yeah. about, not about Maggie Thatcher like it was last time. <laughs> well, you keep on being Terry Christian. <laughs> I'm never change. sure how to take that. <laughs> Carry on being Captain Kirk. <laughs> no, you're, it's, you're, it's absolutely fascinating uh, talking to you and... Uh, you know, there's more to come, Terry. <laughs> yes, there's more to come. Of course. There is. Ladies and gentlemen, give a massive round of applause. Terry Christian. Thanks a lot. Come and see us next week. Uh, we've got Jamie Dimitro and Samira Ahmed. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming, guys. Do Rahalastapur with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Terry Christian. Thank you very much to Scant Regard for playing the music. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker, and also to the, my good friend, Chris Evans, not that one. Thank you to everyone at the Square Theatre and all the other nits who help us make this show. Uh, I would also like to thank the following people who are some of the people who backed our Kickstarter campaign John C., Paul Quelch, Liz Hazelby, Amy LaRoche, Leifa Fenfier, Bob Sausage, Mark Hush, Emma Davies, Jay, Scott Wilkinson, Benjamin Angerer, Michael Paley, Fee Potts, Rich Dixon, Rory McDade, Sarah W, Jean Power, Claire Davies, James Gorman, Julian Cave, Simon Smith, Gorm Uloso, Carly Reed, Ben from the Far End of the Bar podcast. Don't listen to that podcast. Simon Sweet, you can if you want. George Povey, David and Jenny Moody, Alison Scott, Rach Bowden, Emily Noah, Backspace L. That might be a misprint. Adam Smith, Danny Dyer, not that one, Ian Podcast, James Newton, and Kettle. This is a Skype Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. 
Thank you very much for listening. Go to richhang.com slash gigs to find out when Rahalastopur is coming near to you. Please tell your friends about this podcast. Make them listen to it too. The more people who listen, the more money we've got to make more podcasts and stuff like that. So that would be nice, wouldn't it? Thanks for listening. Go away. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. Gofasterstripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.